Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. The Hokies had another rough one this past weekend. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to characterize it. That's the nicest way I can put it right now, (laughs) because I'm just kind of angry. And we have a lot of stuff to get to in today's episode, but we do need to start off with the cheers. All right, I will I will do my best to give us a cheers here. I, I said it last week. Uh, I always have a breakdown during the season. It happened earlier than I thought. So I characterized myself. I was at a wedding watching this game. I characterized myself as numb uh, at this particular junction. So with that, I think I'm pretty clear-headed. It seems like you are as well for us to talk about this game, talk about the future, and most uh, importantly, talk about NC State, which we're going to this weekend. So I think, cheers to that, to going to see a game in Blacksburg Friday night, which should be a blast and should be uh, great to watch on TV for those that are not traveling. How about that? Let's just do a cheers to something fun here. Cheers. Woo! So like I said, we have a lot to get to, and we want to start with an announcement that we've mentioned a couple times, but we're going to be at the cellar on Saturday, the day after the game this weekend. So post-NC State game on Saturday from noon to 3 at the cellar upstairs, we're going to have a guest coming on from the key play, Mason Nauman, and we're going to ask him some questions, uh, bend his ear a little bit. He said he, when we talked to him, he said he lives right above the cellar. So talk about convenience. I think he only just has to walk downstairs, come into the cellar, and then we're going to be interviewing him. It should be a uh, a good time. It should be a lot of fun. I'm hoping that uh, that we freaking win on Friday night so it's not just a, a funeral in there on, on Saturday. But I think it'll be fun either way. We'll have a bunch of beers. We'll take some breaks and make sure we can talk to people. So please come by if you're in town, and uh, I think it'll be fun. Let's start with our news and notes as we do every week. We had some good ones this week, uh, some interesting ones, I should say, at least. Yeah, I think they were they were positive. They're moving in a positive direction. I think the most notable everybody was really excited about was Brewer got cleared on Monday to practice by the medical staff. It got announced right around, I think, 4.30. It was supposed to be between 4 and 5. So he got cleared to practice. There was some video of him throwing the ball. He looks he looks pretty good taking hits and is going to be a whole different beast, obviously. But his throwing looks pretty solid. Yeah, they've had the Snapchats of him throwing for a couple of weeks, and I'm not even sure how that's possible. But I remember, like, a week or two after the surgery, there was a Snapchat of him throwing the football, and it was like, he looked looked good. I mean, he's just throwing in shorts and a T-shirt, but whatever. He's got six screws and a plate in his collarbone, and it's a game-time decision. I don't know if he's going to play, but it would really be a lift, I think, for the guys on the team if he were to play just because of his leadership, not even his play on the field, just of what he means to the program and his offseason – the injury against Ohio State. I just think it would really lift the guys if you were able to play. But there were a couple other things, too. Uh, Stroman was moved to wide receiver. He was formerly our, our nickel corner. Filled in for Kendall in that ECU game and kind of had a rough time. 
And uh, now he's going to move over to wide receiver, an area where we could definitely use a little bit of help after uh, Isaiah and Cam. Yeah, we have no depth, very very little depth. The the seniors on the team uh, are just – they're not even in the game now. They're, I don't know what happened to, like, where's Dion Newsom? Like, where – what happened to Kevin Asante or Knowles? Like, Asante. no one is stepping up. Like, Charlie Meyer, uh, the, the, the guy, the little hmm. guy, whatever hmm. happened to that guy? They're not letting them <laughs> on the field. I don't even think they're letting <laughs> them on the field. I, I, I haven't seen them on any plays – I don't know why you would with how good I think our starting wide receivers are, the way that they're able to hold up. But maybe it'll give us some depth. It'll give us maybe some change of pace. Maybe it'll give Cam and Isaiah just a breather so they can yeah. be even better. I, I agree. That's that's something we need. Uh, they also said Tremaine Edmonds is going to play a little bit more at uh, linebacker, which I'm hearing that he's a beast, and he's probably going to be our backer going forward. So if he's getting on the field – and he's beaten out, uh, you know, Deion Clark for some snaps. Like, I'm all for it because he is the future at our backer position. Beamer was kind of angry after this game, but one of the key, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But one of the key things he said was that he, the running back rotation, will be pared down, as we've said many times, and it seems as if McMillan might be starting next game and getting a lot of carries. So I thought that was very noteworthy. It remains to be seen whether that is exactly what will happen, but Beamer is pretty fired up, and that seemed what uh, what was going to be the case, is that we're going to have a true starting running back, as we've been asking for for several weeks and even the last two years. And just a couple final things. We got a four-star commitment from a DB, uh, Khalil Ladler. We're not going to go into it too much. Four-star on rivals, and he's currently our highest-rated recruit, so that's always good. And Came at a great time. When, yeah. Uh, we were, everybody was really hurting. Just so. a little bit of good news after that pit game. And we were a day early on the Kendall thing, but he is done, and we've all had a week to cope with that, so we're not going to go into it. Ever. Ooh. Ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to just say a couple things about the pit game before we get into the actual uh, game stuff. I went to the game. It was absolutely awful weather. It was cold. You could see your breath at the tailgate on October 3rd. Like, that is just not right. Um, But I would say the mood of the fans was surprisingly good. And even though we got down early in the game, the fans were dancing in the stands and having fun. And every time the camera was on everyone, there were smiles. And it was... A pretty relaxed atmosphere, I thought, for a team that badly needed a win. It made me feel good from the perspective of, like, we're losing, but I'm still having a good time, and so is everyone around me. But I feel like maybe three to five to seven years ago, if I was in those stands, we're down 10 nothing in the fourth quarter, everyone would have been tense. No one would have been having fun. And I think that speaks volumes about where we're at right now. The state of the state of the program, if you will. Yeah, and I I really don't like going into these doom and gloom conversations that keep coming up after every loss we've had over the past couple of years. But there is noticeable change just in just in the little ways I just mentioned. Just like people having like a great time at a game we're losing, which kudos to them and and I'll tell you, it made me feel good too, like I said. But it just really it makes you think about where we're at. 
There's there's a lot to think about. I was at a wedding during the game, which is probably why I remained somewhat even keeled this time around, and maybe only half of my tweets, you know, pissed people off at the end of the day. But in my, I had a you know cousin, second cousin, say to me during it, I was telling him about the podcast, and he said, you know, how's the team playing this year? How's Virginia Tech doing? I said, well, it's it's been tough. Uh, this was right after the loss. I said, it's also tough to start a podcast when you're in this type of season with all the emotion <laughs> around. And he looked at me and he said something that was pretty interesting. He goes, if people are going to listen to you when things are this, you know, up in the air, uh, tough uh, on the team, then they'll listen to you when things are going well. So I thought that was an, a nice piece of advice. So my thoughts are what's what's going on right now with whether it be message boards, just sentiment, discussions, as you were mentioning, you were talking with one of your buddies at the pit game uh, about what you, they thought should happen in the future. There, Everybody's been bifurcated into these camps. I like to separate it into two at this point. There's one, you have people that say Beamer should be either gone immediately, which I see as an extreme situation. It would not happen unless, you know, barring, you know, something coming out that would be unforeseen or two at the end of the season. And then those saying that he should get his next year, 30th, Bristol, a lot of things aligned. We talked about this on, on our first, I think, episode of, of, of the season. Here's how I think about it. Those that think Beamer should be gone, are quick to jump to this kind of factoid of, oh, well, things aren't just going to be fine and dandy once Beamer is gone. I think that is um, a little bit uh, a bridge too far. At the end of the day, I think a lot of those people realize how hard the rebuilding is going to be for when Beamer is gone, and they're, they want to take the plunge sooner than later rather than kind of drifting. So I'm not saying I support that argument. I'm just saying using this cop-out of, oh, well, you don't know how hard things are going to be. Well, no matter what, we're going to have to end up at that point. And some people are just ready to take that on sooner than later. On the flip side of that, Beamer built this city, right? And it wasn't on rock and roll. It was on <laughs> it was on hard-nosed football, and it was on a run game and controlling the clock. Special and teams. Special teams. And he deserves his, his day in, you know, in, in the limelight what would seem next year. So when I get into these conversations and I get asked actually pretty often what's going to happen with Beamer, he's become such a notable figure, especially now that Jopa is gone and, you know, a lot of the big figureheads of college football are gone. People look at Beamer as kind of one of the last remaining figureheads and people tend to ask, what are my thoughts on it? My thoughts are we hired a man, his name's Whit Babcock, to make this decision and he's a really smart guy. And he's done pretty well because there's a person that we landed on the basketball head coaching job that none of us ever thought that we could have landed out of Marquette, which would be Buzz Williams. And he did a pretty good job with that. So my opinion is that I don't know enough. I don't know what the numbers are. I, he's looking at attendance numbers. He's looking at sponsorship numbers. He's looking at the Hokie Club donations. He's looking at everything in a whole package. He gets pure visibility into everything that's going on with Virginia Tech. And he's going to make the right decision for the program. And that's what I believe. I, I, I believe in Whit Bob, Babcock doing the right thing by Virginia Tech because I think he believes in the program. I agree wholeheartedly with that and the buzz Williams thing is a great example I think we're lucky to have wit and 
the all bets are off scenario where we don't make a bowl, let's just hold off on that for now. And if that were to happen, then maybe we would see some change with Beamer in a more immediate sense. But even still, I trust Whit Babcock to make the right decisions to handle this transition gracefully, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. For now, I want to win some football games. Let's do it. Let's let's focus on football. Yeah. Uh, that'd be great. I wanted to say one more fun thing about the game, too. They do that hokey jukebox thing where they ask the fans to vote for songs to play during the game. They're like, press one to like play this song. And one of the choices was Phil Collins in the air tonight, which is an awesome song and has that great drum solo. And it ended up <laughs> It ended up winning. And when they played it, I swear there was 25,000 people in the stands that all did the drum moves with their hands. I like looked out at the crowd and everyone did it at once. It was like the coolest, funniest thing. I thought it was great. It, like all the guys I were with just thought it was hilarious. I brought two non-hokies to the game with me. They had a blast in Blacksburg, even though it was probably one of the worst games you could take someone to. Um, Weather-wise, performance-wise, yeah. a lot of things uh, amount and to they And st- still having a good time yeah. is pretty speaking of I mean, uh, Blacksburg. Blacksburg has still got it from the fun aspect. I mean, we, we got my boys' rails. You know, <clears throat> we did the hokey pokey. Every, like, we, we did them. I saw some snapshots of uh, tots that you were, that were you know, you were... You were after it. We were, we were getting after it. Downtown was a bunch of fun after the game. Tot's deck was popping as usual. And uh, we even hit the underground for some car bombs and darts late night. So it just got a little wacky. But um, let's, let's stop talking about the fun stuff and get into the pit game because that's what uh, people really want to hear about, the, the doom and gloom of what happened against Pitt. We're going to run through this pit game kind of quickly. We'll give it the time it needs, but... After such an ugly affair, I just want to kind of get this over with. We're going to bounce around between good and bad. Uh, After any loss, Robbie and I tend to have our thoughts scattered. So I think the biggest negative was the offensive performance was just putrid. Uh, 100 yards of offense, 9 yards rushing. The O-line got destroyed. The play calling seemed atrocious at times. Definitely the worst play calling effort from Loeffler so far. Well, yeah, this absolutely this season. It was a reversion back to last season, right, I, in some ways. One of the things I just wanted to, like, kind of a more meta thing, there was just no juice from the guys. Like, no, no one was fired up. Daddy was the only one I saw, like, pumping his hands in the air, trying to get the fans pumped up, but, like, Pitt, the guys were like fired up to play every single play, and we just didn't have that. And Beamer said that after the game, too. So that bothered me, and it leads to all of this, you know, like that. Yeah. The fact that you're not fired up leads to giving up seven sacks on the O line and only 100 yards of offense. We did see our boy Voitick come in a little bit uh, from the other side of the ball, and he broke a few early, but it was really just that 126 yard play. And then a couple other carries, but he only ended up with 37 yards and wasn't wasn't really uh, the thorn in our side that I thought he might be, but we did see him, as we had mentioned. There wasn't an individual thorn because I thought the defense actually played pretty well. There was the they two did. plays right in the beginning of the second half yeah. with, uh, what was his name? Olison. Olison that had broke off two runs that ended up scoring a touchdown that, but... 
you know, at the end of the day, it was just it was two plays. We we took off two plays. They were huge plays to yeah. take off. But other than that, I the defense the defense did, tightened down. They did play pretty well. Pretty well. And Bud even said like we probably played you know four or five plays that we let go. And other than that, the defense played pretty solid. And the numbers backed that up. Uh, Luther but, Luther caused some damage up the middle. I thought. Uh, let's talk. Let's give some credit where credits due. Matapuaka, uh, forced fumble. He almost had another one. I I thought he he was scrambling around a lot, but he disrupted a lot of plays on the defensive side of the ball. I thought that was positive. He definitely had a good game, and it was nice to see, especially like getting into ACC play now, um, having a middle linebacker that we can potentially count on at one point he even like threw that one guy to the ground like almost like a wrestling move like he he was just like really aggressive caused three fumbles uh just a really nice game from moto uh in his first game back coming off the injuries so that was good uh i thought terrell Edmonds played solid in place of fuller and we mostly kept boyd in check he, but the problem was the ones that he did catch were like pretty key when he caught them. Like he didn't have like a hundred yards or anything. I counted four, four decent. There were f- three, I think seven, seven yard third downs that he made catches on each time, and then another that was four yards, and he caught uh, on a third down to get the first down, and then I think he had another one. So it was almost five that he had that were at key times, not necessarily that damaging, but key times that he made catches. There were less penalties for us this game, which was nice, but there were still a couple ones that I would have liked not to see. And we notched four sacks and seven tackles for loss. And for the first time, I thought Deion Clark had a decent game. Um, he did. And he had a sack, I think, in, in this game. That was, a, that was a really nice sack, actually. It came at a key time. So that was actually really positive. I guess just post-game stuff, Beamer was pissed. I said that a little bit earlier, but he was just mad. And he mentioned that the guys weren't fired up. He mentioned the running back thing. And that was part of the play calling thing too, that that jet sweep, like the fourth and fifth time that Lovler tried to run it. It's like the guy was eating McMillan for lunch. Like he had never had a chance. They sold out against that jet sweep so hard that when you watch that game, the they're sitting right there waiting for McMillan and just hugged him. It was like, Hey, you're going down. This plays over right now. And they sold out against that jet sweep so many times. And we kept going to it. It was just bizarre. Only 13 carries to the running backs. And that was after only 17 against ECU. And I think that's another reason Frank was mad. He's like, you know what? This is not Virginia tech football. I want to see a lead back. I want to see him get it 15 to 20 times. And, let someone else get it five to ten times, and let's mash people. And I appreciated Frank getting kind of fired up because I was fired up. We were all mad after the game. So hopefully that will kind of be the spark we need going forward. Do you have any kind of key takeaways from this miserable performance? Because I have a couple that I, you know, one being the offensive line's just, got to play better than that you know and they have though for the most part but that that's the interesting part yeah, is i don't know what, what happened. happened they took a game off just completely off seven sacks is unacceptable uh, what happened at the end of the game how banged up motley almost got when really at that time we don't have 
much of a we have a backup quarterback, but he's a freshman. True yeah, freshman. If Molly is injured and Brewer's injured at the same time, we're in deep, deep trouble. And the play calling was a reversion back to two thousand and fourteen. Outside zones, screens, bubble screens, and sweeps again and again and again. And I think they're I don't want to be guessing too much. There's two thoughts that I have on this. One is early on, Loeffler decided to make an adjustment that he wanted to go to the outside because he saw something there. Or two, he made an adjustment and went immediately, got rid of the inside zone because he saw that the O-line wasn't getting any push, which is true. We got no push. If we we ran... 20 inside zones, we probably wouldn't have got any yardage there anyway because the offensive line did not do well this game. So I don't I don't know what the answer is. I just know it's not acceptable in the way that we need to be running the ball. I don't know exactly what happened either. Like did his play his like game plan get blown up because of we went down 10 nothing because he saw something. But you just can't even if they have the top rushing defense in the country, which they have a very good rush defense. It's pretty you just, pretty good. <laughs> and I don't want to just slam it into the line every time, but you can't just abandon the run completely in a rain-soaked game. Yeah. you got to come up with something more creative than letting your quarterback drop back over and over and get harassed the whole entire game. So Lovler needs to be better. The offensive line needs to be better. And Frank thought as much after the game. So the only positive thing that I've seen consistently throughout the season because now we've had good examples of bad offense and we've had plenty of examples of bad defense. The special teams played really well again. And I re- that was nice to see. They blocked a field goal. They could they were like an inch from another blocked punt. Three blocked punts that I counted after they almost had their hands on. They're getting so freaking close. It's incredible. The, near, the amount of near misses we've had is amazing. We downed a bunch of balls like inside the 10 and 5-yard line. Sly was 2-for-2, two two, both from 40-plus. Just all around a great special teams performance, but the near misses, we turns out we needed them. So we were both drinking the same beer, but Robbie, you, you bought this one, and you've had it a couple times before, so what are we drinking? We have the Wolfpack coming to town. Friday night, so obviously we try to come up with a a few wolf or at least dog themed at the very least uh, themed beers. One that came to mind. It took me a minute to put two and two together because it's actually one of my favorites, and I had to remember the name versus the brewery was Dirt Wolf. It's a Victory Double IPA Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company out of Downington, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a double. It's a great beer. It's one of my favorite IPAs. It's strong, and I actually like it a lot. They sell it at a number of the different restaurants near me and love uh, love getting it off draft there and love the bottle here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Victory. In fact, uh, my sister lives in Downingtown, and I've had a number of their beers, and this one's really good as well. This NC State matchup is one that we've had some fun with over the over the years since being in the ACC. We're 3 and 1 against the Wolf Pack and we've won the last 3. We had that comeback win in 2010 if you remember, which I'm pretty sure is still the largest comeback win under Beamer. It was 17 points we were down. ECU last year would have been bigger if we could have pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Uh 
if you remember in 2009, Ryan Williams dragging the NC State defender into the end zone, basically. I still think it was, some people quote that as 10 yards. I think it was like 15 <laughs> yards that he dragged him into that end zone on the uh, right on the left sideline. It was amazing. It was awesome. And that was Earl Wolf who ended up getting drafted and playing for the Eagles and may even still be on the team. I'm not sure. I Lingerie League, I think he got drafted <laughs> on too. That, that was it. And in 2004, you might remember the Brandon Pace missed field goal right at the end. It was a really tough loss. We had already lost to USC, and it gave us a second loss. But then we ripped off a bunch of wins, and we ended up going to the Sugar Bowl and winning the ACC that year. So we've we've got a, an interesting history against, against NC State. And they've got a third-year coach in Dave Doran, He's 15 and 15 as a head coach, but he's only 3 and 14 in the ACC. Most of that was his 0 and 8 first year as a head coach in the ACC. But nevertheless, it, he doesn't have a great record, and they're facing some raised expectations after going 8 and 5 last year and getting a bowl win. They're 4 and 1, and they just lost to Louisville in their most recent game, but they've kind of played a weak schedule. It's very, very weak. The schedule they played. The first four games were... It was Troy, uh, Eastern Kentucky, ODU, and South Alabama. I was hoping you wouldn't actually mention it because I don't like, dispar- I don't like spar- disparaging our opponent. At, at least. But it, it was weak. But they we cleaned all- the clocks of all those teams. That's right. They, they played them really well. And once they played a good team, though, they ended up losing to Louisville 20-13. to And when I say good, I just mean like a power five decent team because Louisville we know has struggled this year. Um, I think they, yeah, they got exposed a little bit, but they still played a tough game against Louisville. Louisville was backed into a corner as well. Let's keep that in mind. And they also, their defense lost a lot, but they still have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. So that game was going to be pretty close. I think we thought it was going to be pretty close. Uh, So, I wouldn't say that's a bad loss for them, given a Louisville team that, for the expectations, had to win that game. They had to, but NC State was at home. They were undefeated in a big spot against a team that is underachieving, mm-hmm. and they still ended up losing, and they didn't look that good doing it. Yeah. I had a, a friend in D.C. I worked with him for a number of years. His name is Mike, and he's uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina. And he lived up in D.C. for a while, and he moved back to Raleigh a couple years ago, and he's a diehard Wolfpack fan. He's essentially the equivalent of us down in Raleigh. He's been to all the Wolfpack's home games this year. And he sent me an email giving me the thoughts on on the Wolfpack so far this year. And he classified last week as a reality check in in two ways, in that, like we said, they hadn't played anybody, and he kind of was – putting that on Dorn and their athletic director, Yao, for not getting them at least one decently tough matchup before conference play. But they also... See Baylor. See Baylor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Baylor. Exactly. But they also had Shadrick uh, Thornton, their key playmaker on offense and kind of their star running back, dismissed in the middle of the week last week uh, due to uh, an arrest and what Mike classified as his third or fourth strike, he couldn't keep count. He had a few legal troubles before that, right. by my read on the situation. So Mike from Raleigh is not too pleased with the Wolfpack, and and maybe if they had played someone a little bit tougher, they would have been 
uh, a little bit more prepared for Louisville. But nevertheless, they took the loss. That doesn't mean that they're coming into Lane and uh, they're not not ready for us. No, they're going to be ready. They've got some nice players. And he actually had an interesting thing to say about Thornton. And it made me feel really good that he got dismissed because he said, he was our most talented running back, the toughest SOB on the field, and hit holes like his life depended on it. He's gone, and it sucks. And I just read that, and I was like, well, thank God. It was a big loss for <laughs> it, them. It's a really it, big loss. And I didn't realize it. I didn't. You know, I should keep up better on the ACC, but that was a major blow for them, especially given their backup running back, who he may be shorter than JC Coleman. I'm not sure. He's 5'9, he's 203 pounds as it comes in. That's a big loss from a, a really hard running running back to to walk away from that. And they don't have a ton of playmakers that can really get down the field like Thornton could. So, we're going to jump into the NC State offense now. I would classify the NC State offense as a run-first offense, at least it was last year, and Brissett was a huge part of that, their quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. He's been passing mostly this year, but that's partially due to the schedule they've been playing. And when they did try to run on Louisville, they, they didn't really have too much success. And in that offense, that their, uh, I think their offensive coordinator is named uh, Canada, he likes to use the run to open the pass and use play action and short passes, and that works to Jacoby Brissett's strengths against Louisville. That didn't happen. And maybe we'll see him run more going forward, but he had 500 yards rushing last year. And that was a huge part of their offense last year. I think it was a huge part of their offense this year. He has been a little bit more pass first. I think even in the Louisville game, he went, it's not a good statistic. It was 16 for 28 with 183 yards and a touchdown. But I don't think he had an interception in that game. I think he's getting a little bit more comfortable, but he hasn't been nearly as productive over the season. And granted, we're, we got four cupcakes taking into account a lot of the statistics we're talking about. He has a 73% completion percentage, which when I saw that, it blew me away. I, I couldn't believe it. But... Well, yeah, we talked earlier about some of the teams they've been up against. So I think it's he's more of a TBD. I don't, I, I don't necessarily know. He scrambled a little bit more last year. This year he hasn't chosen to. I don't know what we're going to get out of him. Well, the one reason I think for the high completion percentage, which is very impressive, 73% is completely ridiculous. They do a lot of the short passes. He still has no picks, though. He's just very accurate. It. No picks this year at all. Seven TDs, no picks. Last year, 23 TDs, five picks. He doesn't turn the ball over, and he's a big dude, 6'4", 235, and that's why he was so effective for them running the ball last year, and I think it's definitely something we're going to see. And potentially Louisville didn't let him get into that zone running the ball. Well, as long as he's not throwing picks, I don't think they're going to force him to be something that he isn't. You know, the right. short the short pass sometimes can be, you know, all you need really in a game. And I think they were also trying to warm him up in terms of like getting his passing game more on point in the first four games, and that's why he wasn't running it as much. And going forward, forward, we'll see the same type of offense we saw last year with him running for four. Point three yards per carry, which is pretty darn impressive when you consider that in college they take the sacks into your 
and to your carries. So he's a good player, and I just like we were worrying about Wojtek, just like we should have been worrying about Summers, a running quarterback who's as big as he is could really pose a problem for Virginia Tech. Well, at least there's only one of them, so they can't just, you know. (laughs) I do like the fact that we don't have to prepare for two quarterbacks for the first time in uh, three weeks now. But running backs, what do you think of this? Uh, We just talked a little bit about losing uh, uh, Thornton, and now you're Matthew Days. He's... He's small. I've heard, this seems like a huge loss for them as a team that was run first. It is. It is. And he's a good player. Dace is a good player. And I don't want to liken him to JC. I maybe put like he's just and I've said it before about the other running backs we faced. He's just a he's a solid back. Mm-hmm. He's running for five and a half yards per carry. He couldn't really get free against Louisville. Um he ran for essentially two yards per carry without one long run. So he's not super dynamic, but he's an okay player. And our, their offensive line is playing well. He could have a decent day. But I think it's going to be the same situation we, we've seen. Like Other than maybe one or two runs by Olison and a breakout run here or there from the other guys against Purdue and ECU, we're not going to see a ton of just true running plays from Matthew Days. It's going to be set or it's going to be some play action pass or it's going to be some other stuff that they're doing with a dynamic player that is kind of their more used version of Sam Rogers and his name is Jalen Samuels he's an h-back slash fullback slash tight end and he's kind of their do everything guy he's their leading receiver 25 receptions 300 yards on the season and 103 rush yards on top of that. So he really does do it all for them. He is an animal. I mean, he really is. Even size-wise, he's similar to Rodgers, 5'11", 236. He's, he's someone that we're definitely going to have to look out for. And Mike said they'd like to use him in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's someone we oh. should definitely keep our eye on. And One maybe the- they're only like playmaker that they really have yeah i i would put a second to him as jamichael ramos that has been he's a little bit more productive per catch and that wouldn't be surprising especially if uh if uh, samuels has been in the red zone he's averaging 15 yards on 15 receptions which last time i checked that's not bad if you can multiply those two together then that's the number that you want to go with so uh, he's he's definitely someone i had written down but i also don't think he performed that well against Louisville and racked up kind of a big game against one of those other guys, other teams they played. Cherry's a name to watch. Alston, Greenwich, these are all their wide receivers. I, you know, none of them are breaking out. None of them are Isaiah Fords, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's I just agree. that at any given time, maybe one of them will break a big catch or something. One interesting name was Naheem Hines, a guy we recruited actually and thought we I think for a little while thought we might get. He's a freshman for NC State and he's been making some plays on kickoffs and could be a potential deep threat in this game. So Hines is a name to watch. On kickoff, didn't he he put up obscene numbers on on a couple of kick returns that were outrageous. So yeah, he we need to watch him very very closely because I think he did very well. As we said before, our special teams have been playing like really, really well, virtually lights out. So hopefully we don't let Hines break one, but it's definitely something to watch. Their O-line, the left side is a little suspect. Mike mentioned they've had some injuries. 
and they had very poor pass protection versus Louisville. They gave up four sacks, and they're giving up two and two point four sacks per game, which is eighty fifth nationally, and six point two tackles for loss per game. So we can get to their quarterback if Brissett is dropping back. I think we're going to put some serious pressure on him, especially coming from that uh, left side. So, how do you feel overall about the matchup between about, us and them? I think that it's again always starts with shutting down the run. They use the run specifically to set up their pass. If you can shut down NC State's run game, you can just you can write off their offense. Yeah. But that's much easier said than done with a running quarterback like Brissett. I agree. I think that Pitt had more weapons against us, and we found a way. We struggled early. We all saw it in that game. And in the second half, we kind of shut things down. I think that Pitt had more weapons than NC State, and I think we'll be okay there. The other side of the ball, I might have a little bit more concern. I agree. The The one thing I wanted to say is, like, because Moto looked good last game, that could be really big for defending the running QB. And I'm encouraged by that. I'm hoping that that's the case. And if we can avoid those big plays, I think you're right. Like, we'll, we'll be okay on the side Sack of the numbers ball. are trending up this week. So we're not going through beer as quickly as last time, but we've got some good ones here. And I'm going to start with what I'm drinking because... It'll knock your teeth right out. It, <laughs> I'm drinking the Devil Dog Impero IPA from uh, Laughing Dog Brewing Company, and it's from uh, Idaho. And this thing is 10.8% alcohol, and boy, does it uh, – it packs a punch. I'll it, tell you what. It's, it's a, little he- a little heavy. We started doing this thing. We were trying to find a good balance, right, where – you can't we want to try different beers but you can't just like buy three six packs so what we've started doing is buying two six packs or a six pack and a four pack of like a double and then we'll buy one of the 22 ounces like a you know kind of a nice 22 ounce this is one of the 22 ounces that we ended up getting that Pete's drinking right now yeah and this imperial it's it's rough on the scent the devil dog it has earned its name i'll say that we also represented with the canned beer and the craft, uh, the craft trend towards that. We went. This took a little bit to find. We're sticking with the theme of. Uh, we got Wild Wolf Brewing Company. This is at Nellie's Ford, Virginia. It's called the Primal Instinct IPA. This was actually very good for a brewery I had never heard of. It's canned beer. Uh, we found it at a local place that covered. Yeah, or brings in a lot of craft brews, especially in the state of Virginia. So it was nice to bring something local in. It's got a huge wolf on it. And with the wolf pack coming in on Friday, which we're about to jump back into, it seemed appropriate to keep the theme going. Yeah, I like that. I like that primal instinct. The NC State defense is maybe not as ferocious as these beers are uh, <laughs> are treating us, but... They've got some interesting playmakers, especially in their secondary. They play a four-two-five, kind of similar to us, which is the way Bud has leaned lately with pulling the whip off the field and playing an extra defensive back. And they kind of do the same thing. And they have the same issue we have in that we give up a lot of big plays. What Both- the hell is with that? I it just it seems like this this defensive style. Just yeah, the- and it's I don't know if it's partially because. 
you know, you're supposed to be sacrificing size for speed in this defensive setup, and that would think you would think that you're not giving up as many big plays. But for both us and NC State, that's not how it's been working. Their D line is it's decent. They have a decent pass rush, but they're not as good against the run. They're getting two point two sacks per game, six point eight tackles for loss, which is actually pretty high. Yeah. B.J. Hill, I think, is their defensive tackle. I think B.J. Hill and Justin Jones, who Justin Jones, I guess, actually wasn't supposed to be the one, the starter there as uh, one of the defensive tackles. They've actually shored up that that defensive line. They they're pretty pretty good. One has you know, five tackles for a loss. The other one has two, but it was two against Louisville in that last game. Justin Jones had, which was nice. They have a lot of size. And they have a lot of guys who played last year because they had a bunch of injuries. But the D-line, I still would say, is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You named Justin Jones and B.J. Hill, and those are definitely guys that are going to be like mentioned during the game. Mike Rose is another guy I was mention- would mention. And they've got this like freshman guy, uh, Roseboro, mm-hmm. a four-star guy. And he has two sacks already, and he's 280. And he's kind of he plays outside at the end, but he can also play inside. So uh, Roseboro is definitely a name to watch. Like I said, their D line is decent. I wouldn't say it, it's it's really really good. No, but it's better than their linebackers, which is their probably the weakest part of their defense. Yeah, because their cornerbacks are kind of solid as well. Absolutely. You, so I think the the middle really is kind of scary for them. And maybe that's the thing that we have in common is that times our linebackers haven't been playing very well and neither have theirs. And that's why these big plays get let up. But, uh, Arius Moore at the linebacker position is their second leading tackler and Fernandez ain't bad, but ultimately their strongest position is their defensive backfield. They've got two sure tackling safeties and Akeem and Josh Jones, uh, a, a big hitter at nickel actually in, uh, Dravius Wright. And then Mike Steven and Justin Burris have combined for seven pass breakups. So nice. it's it's a very solid defensive backfield. And there, there's guys I, I won't even mention like that are their reserves that are pretty good on this team too. It's yeah. it's a good looking from the back to front. It's very a good looking de- a defense. Yeah, I think they had ten tackles for a loss in that Louisville game. Uh, they allowed that. <laughs> Here's where the question is. 200 yards rushing in the Louisville game, four and a half per rush. That is, I wish we had a better rushing attack because that's where we could actually, uh, you know, take care of. Well, uh, the, care our of rushing right offense there. was looking okay before the pit game. But the interesting thing I thought about where the rushing yards came from for the Louisville offense against NC State was from the quarterback position. Right. Well, that's the real question. So we're, this was. We talked about uh, this before getting into it, Pete, and we thought we would bring it up at this time. Lamar Jackson, Louisville QB, goes for 121 yards. I think, let's be honest, one of those was, I think, a 60-yard, 64-yard run. So I don't like skewing numbers with big numbers. So 64-yard run. But he went for 121. But they have had trouble with quarterbacks much like uh a virginia tech defense has had trouble with uh scrambling or running quarterback the question that came to mind for me was who do you want to see play now in the rain all right 
I think that Motley's passing ability gets a little bit more suspect. So that's why we get lean a little bit more to the run. Oh, so, you mean because that one that slipped right out of his hand when it looked like it was going to be a perfect completion to Bucky? Yeah, well, that happened as well. <laughs> that happens but. in the rain sometimes. So, and then I think that that causes a little bit of problems. But weather aside, because Brewer I would pick in the rain if I had to go with somebody, I would feel more comfortable is what what do you think about the rushing potential and the mobile QB that Motley brings to the game, which it, Brewer does not bring that at all. He does scramble sometimes, but it's usually, you know, fight or flight. It, it is not a design. And it's, and it's within it's the design. pocket. Right. And he's, Brewer has a great sense of the pocket. And I wouldn't, while he has some quick feet, I wouldn't say that he's the running QB that Motley is. Okay. So in this game, what do you think about it? Because I think it's an interesting question, given that Brewer could be coming back. We don't know. We'll see what happens. And Motley could be. So who would you prefer? Yeah, there's oh, yeah. a lot of thoughts that I have on on what will happen on Friday night, depending on who the starting quarterback is and just depending on which game plan we want to go with. It's like There's so many variables it might be a huge benefit for us that we don't have a starting quarterback necessarily named going into this game because with Brewer, you do have the added passing advantage because we've seen Motley, especially against Pitt. He, he got flustered. He wasn't as accurate and he missed passes in the ECU game. He missed passes in the Pitt game. I mean the Purdue game. So I think Brewer would be, like I said earlier in the podcast, really motivate the guys. I just think that it would really fire up the guys. But I think Motley might be a better fit against this defense. So I'm kind of torn and could go either way. And I think we're going to see both of them. I really do. I think Brewer is absolutely going to play snaps in this game. I really believe that. He's probably the toughest quarterback I've seen in a long time. Not just... It's it's not just the him talking about it. It's him being out there on every snap of all the practice. He said, I think it was yesterday, he came out and he said he watched all the game planning for all the games this year. He's ready to go. He hasn't missed a beat. Well, the only thing he's missed a beat on is being healthy. I, it makes me more upset that he got injured because he's just everything that you want in a quarterback and he's so supportive of his team, and I think he will get in there. I just don't want, I don't want to see him get hurt again. Like I said, I think we have the advantage in that Scott Leffler will know how healthy Brewer is before this game, and he can play plan, play. Sorry, he can game plan accordingly. If Brewer is going to be your guy that's starting, passing on the secondary will be a little tough, but our skill players. And Brewer could certainly pick our spots if the run is working. He, tore, did, apart, he tore apart Ohio State. Right. And that was That's nice. a very, very good defense. And But if Motley has to play because Brewer's not ready, you know, maybe we do what Louisville did and use our quarterback uh, and his feet a little bit more often. Either way, I like the fact that McMillan will be starting in this game. I really think that's what Beamer was – was saying without saying it when he was saying that uh, the running back rotation needed to be pared down. And after last week, if the O-line doesn't come out and want to mash someone, then there's something seriously wrong. So I think we're going to move the ball on the ground, whether it's with the quarterback or with the running backs. 
I would complete that thought that if the entire team doesn't come out with a lot of energy on this Friday night, because barring another hurricane, I think this is going to be a crowded stadium. It's not going to be packed full, but it's going to be loud. It's going to be rambunctious. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. I don't know about you, Pete. I'm pumped up about being there on a Friday night. I am pumped up. And I want to see this offense get going again, like we were seeing earlier. Raise the hands, like do the yeah, old, do the, raise the old hands. The move. only person that was doing that, I'm telling you, was Daddy last game, and we need more of that. Brissett laid an egg against Louisville. That's how Mike from Raleigh put it in his email. But Mike said he's still Mike a, from Raleigh is the new character on the show. Mike from Raleigh said he's still a believer, though he believes in Brissett's leadership, his accuracy, his vision. And his playmaking ability. Nobody is doubting NC State. I, I've said from the beginning, I think you have as well, NC State was going to be, I thought, was going to be one of the biggest games here. It Obviously, is. we yeah. laid we laid our own egg against Pitt. I think we could have taken that game. But NC State was supposed to be the big game. I believe in this, this program. I think they're good. I think it's better for the ACC that they are good. I think we can beat them absolutely if we play, come out and play this game. But nobody's disrespecting NC State. No. They're, they've improved immensely over the years. This is a huge game in every, for both teams. It's so big. Like you said, we both played under our expectations last week. We both needed a win in the first game of ACC play, and we both kind of fell flat on our face. So this is a chance for NC State and Virginia Tech to step up and get that first ACC win, and it's huge. And if we lose this game, this season could go down a really bad spiral with no bowl and anything else. And if NC State were to lose, you know, it, it's it's similar for them because it doesn't get any easier with Florida State and Clemson in your division. So it's a really big game for both teams. I think. Our offense can find some advantages, and I also think our defense can find some advantages. So let's talk about how we think the game's going to go and what our picks are. Actually, I said picks, but it's really only one pick because we're going to be doing our normal Saturday picks when we're at the cellar, like we said earlier in the show, 12 to 3, upstairs at the cellar, we're going to have our guest from the key play, Mason, coming in, uh, just giving us some of the inside scoop on the X's and O's. And it should be a really fun time. The only game we're going to pick is our game. And I'm seeing it as a pick em or a one-point favorite as Virginia Tech. So, Robbie, what are your thoughts? How do you feel? I'm going to go with a Virginia Tech win. And this is against what I would normally do because I picked, you guys may remember, a couple weeks ago I said, you know, I'm going to pick against Virginia Tech on the spread because I wanted to go the other direction. Then this past week I picked Virginia Tech and then we lost. This week I'm going to go with a stern Virginia Tech win on a pick em because I think we're going to come out with a vengeance. I don't care which quarterback's in there, whether it's Motley or Brewer, I think we're going to come out, and finally our team's going to play with a really, really big chip on their shoulder, which is what I want to see. Old school, Virginia Tech, offense and defense. Screw you, get out of my way, or I'm going to run you over, is what I want to see. 
I'm going to start with Mike from Raleigh's pick, and he worded it like this. He said, I'm surprised it's an even spread, but if it moves to negative three, I'd take NC State with the points. Otherwise, it's hard to not take VT at home with the pick And I agree. After last week, after ECU the previous week, I think we're going to come out and play really tough. I think we're going to establish the run. And if if it's a pick or a one-point favorite for Tech, I like us by a field goal or so. It's not going to be an easy game by any stretch, and we really need to def- make sure we defend well and we can impose our will on the offensive line. But I I think I really do believe we're going to win this game. I it, Whenever we've had our backs against the wall the last couple seasons, I feel like we've come through, and I like us in this spot. Before we close it out, we're going to do just a quick college story time. I had one I thought of that was uh, kind of a fond memory, although it's just an example of how much of a jerk you are in college. We lived on Wharton Street, which is two blocks behind Back Streets. It was a great little complex, six apartments, and pretty much everyone in all those apartments knew each other. Like every house knew the other people. 208B, the top apartment, was my guy friends, and we threw a bunch of keggers there, got drunk on the weekdays, the whole nine yards. Underneath of that, there was a girl's apartment, and the girls were very cool and would party with us all the time. But occasionally on the weekday parties, they'd come up and complain about the stomping around or the music or whatever. Like, can you guys at least keep it down? It's Wednesday night. So we're partying up there. They come up. They do their typical thing where they're like, hey, can you guys keep it down? And I want you to keep in mind, these girls are cool. Like, we're really being jerks and just being way too loud and dancing and whatever else. So they go downstairs and we're like, screw these chicks. Our one buddy goes in his room, finds every pair of boots he can find, Timberlands, rain boots, whatever. We all put them on, and he says, get on the counters. We get on the the island and the counters around the kitchen. We're like squatting underneath the cabinets, and he counts one, two, three, and we all jump off with the boots on and like slam onto the floor with a thunderous thud like I've never heard before, and we're all laughing our asses off. The girls, we hear their door slam. They come running up our steps and bust in the door like, what the hell are you doing? Our light fixture just crashed into our coffee table and shattered into a million pieces. And we're like all doubled over in laughter. And it's just, it's such a funny memory. And it's just proof, like your brains are just not fully developed. You're just such a jerk. In I was college. about to say, you sound like the worst person Ever, but I'm sure that I'm not alone, and that you just like to mess with people. You just like to mess with people when you're when you're in college. And fortunately, those girls were very cool. We're still friends with a bunch of them to this day. But I just love that story. I thought it was hilarious. Perfect story. All right, that'll wrap it up, guys. We've said it twice, but meet us at the cellar the day after the NC State game, Saturday noon to three. Come by, have a beer. Unless you don't like good beer, then don't come by. But if you do like good beer, we're going to be hanging out, having a couple, and just talking, talking Virginia. You're going to need a beer. You're going to need a beer after the game. Win or lose, you're probably not going to be feeling that good. Come by, get a free koozie, have a beer with us, and then, you know, 
either stick around for Saturday night at Tots because we'll, we'll definitely be there. Where else would I be on Saturday <laughs> night at Tots? We're sticking around till Sunday, so I'm going to be there. All right, so you can always hit us up at 2DeepVT on Twitter. That's at 2DeepVT on Twitter or 2DeepVT at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until the seller, go Hokies. Thank you.